I want to, uh, I'm going to share a little bit of a Christmas message. We know that Emmanuel, the promise of old, five centuries before Jesus was born, Isaiah the prophet nailed it yet again. And he said the, the one that would come, the promise of God would be Emmanuel. Child will be given, a virgin will, con- a sign will be given, a virgin will conceive, and he shall be called Emmanuel. That was an unprecedented concept other than the temple of old, the tabernacle of old, they knew that God's presence would dwell in their midst, but it wouldn't be a child who was born who would embody Emmanuel. That was a radical, wild thought. And, and you know, you read the ancient rabbis, which I've done, they had no clue what to do with that. They certainly didn't have a clue when he actually came and showed up. They said, there's no way that God could be your father, Jesus. How could you claim to actually be the son of God? It's why they, the rabbis anyway, the Pharisees crucified him. That's what offended them, that God would take on flesh. It still, every Christmas, blows me away. Fresh. That God loved us enough not to remain a distant God like all the pagan gods who were just like a, a belief system of some sort or a set of doctrines and behaviors to be lived. But he said, no, I want you to know I'm so real. I want you to be able to touch me. I want you to be able to feel me. I want you to know that I'm also going to feel what you feel and experience what you experience. That's the kind of God that God is. And that's why every other God, whatever the beliefs are, they fall so, so short. That, that's such an understatement of how short all the pagan gods and all the gods that we've created out of our own imagination fall. He is that glorious. He is that amazing. He is that unpredictable. He always has been and he always will be. And so he did become embodied. Can you imagine? I love that song, Mary, Did You Know? Dude, have you heard Maverick City Music sing that? I notice it's got like two and a half million listens on Spotify. I'm responsible for half of those. <laughs> I, I mean, I love, I've loved that song since I've been in Christ. And, and it's just a fascinating thought of Mary and Joseph here knowing what the angel said, knowing what this baby was going to be, to look at a baby's face, crying, nursing, at Mary's breast and to think that that is the fullness of the Godhead. (laughs) How many know it would have been ridiculously humiliating for the Lord of heaven and earth, the God of all creation, to take on any fleshly form but a helpless baby born into an impoverished family in a back of the hillside hick town called Bethlehem? That's exceeding abundantly beyond what any of us would have imagined had we been the one to create the story. (laughs) Now that I'm on this side of the cross and I'm on this side of new life, I wonder how anybody can resist a God like that. How anybody could say no to that God. That we know that the number one reason why people have a difficult time accepting Jesus, I mean, there's nothing Jesus ever said or did, nothing about who Jesus actually is that would turn people off. But we, the people who embody Jesus today, have many times done a marvelous job of turning people off. I experienced it the other night at our town hall meeting there about that petition about the drag show. I experienced and went over and greeted everyone who was on the other side of the petition. 
embrace the, the host of the event herself. She's a friend, Crystal's a friend of mine. And just looking into their eyes, they were so absolutely terrified because here's the pastor who's gonna speak on behalf of a petition that they viewed as being all kinds of phobic and hateful and all of that, but I've made them look into the eyes of love. I made them see this, what it looks like when you're so caught up with a Jesus who loves those that are broken, who loves those who are so destitute that he not only became embodied, but he said, I'm gonna go up on a cross whether you accept it or not. I'll die for you whether I just died naked and alone. He still would have gone to that cross. And so Paul exhorted the church in what I believe is his most, uh, I mean, Romans is a phenomenal letter, but Philippians is like this, is like his magnum opus. It's this amazing book. It's just the embodiment of all of what Jesus is, what the church is, what his love is all about. And right dead smack in the middle of it, he spoke to a very mature church. The Philippian church was one of those that Paul just seemed like he had a, a special kind of relationship with them. The way he, he talks in that letter, it's just amazing. And he said, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Has anybody else ever needed an attitude adjustment party? And all you who didn't raise your hands, you probably need one today. No, I'm just... <laughs> who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the fullness of God in bodily form, that Jesus did not have to grasp after becoming God. He didn't have to fight for it. He didn't have to attain to it. He already was God in bodily form. And he knew it. From age 12, he knew he referred to God as his father. He didn't come to know that as an adult. So by the time he started ministry at 30 years old, 18 years he'd walked with the revelation at least. I am the embodiment of the father. I am the begotten. I am what was on the inside of the father, now on the outside in bodily form. Jesus knew that about himself. Now if there was anybody alive who ever deserved to be the emperor of the world, it was Jesus. If there's anybody alive who ever deserved to say, you're all my slaves now to do whatever I tell you to do, it was Jesus. If there was anybody alive who ever actually deserved the kind of praise that we give to kings and authorities or sports figures or celebrities, dude, no. Look, I've been to football games. I have seen tens of thousands of men worship when the ball goes across the goal line, every hand's in the air. No matter how cold it is out. You could hear the shouts from a mile away. I literally tried it one time. We used to go to Foxborough Stadium for Patriots games. I brought a van full of kids from the inner city. You could never park in the parking lot because it would take you five hours to get home at the end of the game. So one time I parked a mile away. We got out. We were late. I could hear the roar of the crowd from a mile away. We praise all kinds of things. But the only one who's ever been worthy of praise, he came and we put him on a cross. Not a cross because he was some sad sack martyr. Not because he was a victim of any sort. He was in complete control the entire time. The devil was playing checkers. Jesus was playing 4D chess. Yes, I mean 4D. 
because he's outside the realm of time and the whole thing. So what did he do? Instead of requiring all of that and saying, hey, world, I'm here, bow before me. No, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, the lowest of the low and the stratas of society. I'm going to become like that. That's what I'll do. As he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's our Jesus. <laughs> Made in the likeness of men. You know, it blew me away early on in my walk. I was thinking about the incarnation and I said, boy, that's a really weird thing for God to take on flesh. You know, no other, no other religious system really claims, makes that claim that somebody was actually God in the flesh. And I thought, that's such a weird thing. And then I started reading the Bible and I saw how the first man was made in the image and likeness of God. And what did he look like? He didn't look like one of them glorious angels with wings. He didn't look like a lizard or a polar bear, although that would have been cute. He didn't look like any of that. He looked just like us. He looked like a human. It's not weird for God to take on flesh. We are what God looks like with skin on. Some of you feel like a little uncomfortable with that. It's the Bible, man. It's like right there in chapter one, two and three. It's all in there. Made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. I read that one time. Hold on a second. The God omnipotent, the God who, with the breath of his mouth, made stars innumerable. I'm, I'm still, when I look up at the night sky now that I can see more than 12 stars, like is all you could see in New York City, now that I look up at that, and then the Hubble Space Telescope started doing those deep space shots, I know that's dated now. There's a new one out there. It's even better. But I remember it zoomed in on one of the stars that makes up the Big Dipper, and it ended up being thousands of galaxies, each containing billions of stars. And that's one point of light in the night sky from what our eye can see. And the only reason why it exists according to Genesis because God said, and let there be some lights in the sky. <laughs> You're not as blown away by that as I am. That wasn't even like his, oh, I'm gonna, that's what makes us all the more special because with us he got his hands on the project. He formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. The stars, yeah, let there be some lights in the sky. They'll be pretty. They'll be able to navigate. They'll also make up stupid stories about them and, you know, stuff, but, it, but there'll be lights in the sky. That that God taking on flesh was humbling enough. But then he decided that as a man, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to submit myself to the people I ought to be ruling over. You know, the picture of humility is, like the ox is a perfect picture of humility. They are so strong. They're ridiculously strong. So strong that we say, he's as strong as an ox. Now, he's as strong as a brontosaurus or he's as strong as an elephant, which are bigger. He's as strong as an ox. So an ox is strong and therefore able to bear burdens that humans can't bear. That's the picture of humility. That's what humility looks like. It means being strong and confident enough 
that you can take that strength and use it to build others up instead of always proving you're the strongest one in the room. He became obedient to the point of death, even a death on the cross. So no matter what form, for God to appear in earth with a limitation of flesh is already a supreme act of extraordinary humility. That's what blows me away about Christ Mass, about the anointed one becoming embodied. And the reason why he had to become embodied was even more astounding and amazing. He could have done all of his ministry in almost any other way. He could have, you know, paid the price for sin. He, he could have done all kinds of things any other way. But he, he operated by his own rules. Even the Lord of heaven and earth operated within his own rules. The soul that sin shall die. That's, it's written. It's, it's deeply written in the way that the universe operates. But God can't die, but a man can. Not only Live with, you know, if Jesus would have just taken his eternal life and he could still, you could go visit Brother Jesus of Nazareth at the Giant Center when he comes to do his next, you know, big speaking tour, which is what it would have been if he didn't die, ascend into heaven and send Holy Spirit. It would have been the Jesus show. Jesus and his 12, of course, you'd need a new 12 every generation or two because they keep dying off. But he could have, he, had, he was not subject to death. He could have just lived his entire life. And instead he said, nope, God can't die, but I can as a man. Can you imagine the devil licking his lips when he heard that promise of Emmanuel? Wait, God's gonna take on flesh? That means flesh can die. I can kill God. That's what Satan thought for all those centuries, why he was so paranoid. Every time there was, you know, the potential for a Messiah to be born, he freaked out because he's going to kill God. It's like his wildest dream come true. Little did he know. In fact, the Bible says if he would have known, if the people who put Jesus on the cross would have known what was going to happen on the other side. They never would have crucified the Lord of glory. But Jesus would have it no other way. I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to humble myself and allow myself to be humiliated so that I could have a family, so I could have a bride, so that I could have a people on the other side of this cross who will be the permanent embodiment of what love looks like. So yeah, he gave us an example. He lived a life of love, which by the way included an occasional flipping over of tables and a rebuke or two and even some name calling. It included that. You can't just skip over those bits to understand what love means. Love does rebuke. Love does correct. Love does protect. And part of protecting means no, you're not allowed to harm the thing I love and I will stop you. He's a good shepherd. He's not a mamby-pamby shepherd. We say he's, not, he's no mamby-pamby prince of peace. can we all just get along? That's not Jesus. He's also one for justice. He's also one to protect those who can't protect themselves. And you don't want to be a wolf because he has a rod and a staff and he's not afraid to use it. But he embodied love in such a way that we could look at him, read the words that he taught, become the embodiment of it. And today, Emmanuel is still very much with us in physical form through the body of Christ. 
That's what we're called to be. I, I, I know some of you were there on Wednesday night at that meeting. Uh, I don't know if some of you maybe watched the live stream. I had no idea the news was going to be there. I probably wouldn't have signed up for it when my friend called me and said, by the way, the news is going to be there and, and this has gone on some national news too. I understood the meaning of and the blood froze in his veins. That's what it felt like at first for a few minutes. I think if I was looking at myself, I got whiter than I ever get in the middle of winter. And that the Lord filled courage back again and reminded me, would you just, Lord always talks to me in New York. That's still Holy Spirit's native language to me is New York. Would you just get over yourself? You know, it's not like you're being thrown to the lions or being crucified upside down. People are gonna say mean things. Come on now. That's, that's how courage began to rise up in me. Would you just get over it already? I hung on a cross for you. You got eternity with me. So I went across the room when I walked in and I hugged Crystal. She hugged me back. I wasn't sure how that would go down. And it felt like you could hear a pin drop in the room. And I looked around afterward and every single eye in the room was looking at us. That's the embodiment of love. That's what love looks like. Jesus' entire purpose was to live his life so that he could become a sacrifice. He did a lot of other amazing things, all the deaf ears he unstopped, all the lame that walked, the storms that were calmed, and, and a disciple, a group of disciples and a church that he left behind. He did some other amazing things, but when it comes down to it, he truly was born to die. That was his entire purpose. So he lived his life that entire way. His whole life was a destination on a cross. And if the Son of God himself could live that way and demonstrate that kind of love, as Jesus put it, speaking first about himself, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. There is no greater love. I will die for you, Jesus said. That's the greatest love there is. And he demonstrated it. And then he said, tag, you're it. Tag, we're it. As the fresh embodiment, the fresh incarnation of God in the earth, which is the body of Christ. That's not a metaphor. We are literally Jesus with skin on. We are literally now, if, how many of you have been born again? I'm just doing a, see where I need to go with my message from here. I know all of you. I know you are. So if we have been born again, we are in Christ. We are a new creation. Old things passed away. All things becoming new. We're not just, we're, we're not the ones that we were born from our mothers. We are no longer that person. Same body. A lot of same memories, maybe still some old habits from who we used to be, but a totally brand new creation. And what have we been created into? The image and glory of God. That's what we are. How does the image and glory of God get represented in the earth? Man, I love all the power of God when it shows up and we have signs and wonders and miracles. I love when I see the power of God move. I love seeing people healed. I love seeing Bill's knees get healed. And then I love watching him run around the sanctuary to shout the testimony before all the world of what God just did. 
Man, I love those moments. You know, sometimes I pray up here in the front and I'll stop at certain parts where I remember what happened in that spot. This is where, right there, is where the mama we prayed for who had no heartbeat on the ultrasound, we prayed over her, and now she's got a 16-year-old boy. It's glorious to see all of those things. And Jesus did all of those things to be sure. And I don't know about you, but I'm eager to see all of what Jesus did as a regular occurrence. Never to be taken for granted, but to be a regular occurrence. But it all comes back to one four-letter word, and it starts with L. It all comes back to those are demonstrations of his love. And where there's not a miraculous outpouring of some kind of manifestation of God's power, there is always, always, always an opportunity for a manifestation of his love. All the more toward those who have never been touched by it. Who right now have a mindset and a belief about God that he's a judgmental, angry God whose church is full of hypocrites who talk about love but they hate me because I got tats on my face or I came from this lifestyle or I do this, that, or the other thing and, and, and it's because we haven't manifested him perfectly. Now don't worry, I always make sure I remind them that Christians are in process too. Everybody comes with stuff. The only difference between a Christian and the rest of the world is that we've acknowledged it. I got issues. I need heaven, mine are so bad, I need heavenly help. I need God himself to fix this one. That's what a Christian is. Somebody who's acknowledged it instead of just saying, well, it's okay. I'm gonna make that now. I'm gonna move that over to the box of righteousness now rather than deal with how hurtful it is. And so when John wrote to his friends and in just a beautiful letter in 1 John 4, he said, beloved, let's love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who's, who loves is born of God and knows God. He who doesn't love doesn't know God, for God is love. God is love. So if God became incarnate 2,000 years ago in a manger, that means love became incarnate 2,000 years ago in a manger. Literally the embodiment of what love looks like. The one who doesn't love doesn't know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. Manifested in us. So first, Jesus manifested his love to us by living as he did, by dying as he did, by expressing the kingdom and, and beginning this process in our lives. But now it's the tag, you're at stage of now his love is manifested in us. So there's something on the inside that's meant to be poured on the outside. Uh, I gotta tell you something, guys. Walk the streets of Millersburg or get around in the town. There are so many people dying to be just loved. The simplest thing, like a sincere hug with sincere eyes, not of judgment, but of actual love. I started watching some of the drag videos of you know this guy that's coming to do the show and I started just I wanted to be educated enough to know 
I don't think that's ever going to be a temptation for me. So I felt like I could go and look into it a little bit so I'd know what I was talking about. And I found myself at first being a little repulsed by some of the sexual stuff the guy was doing, but I found myself at the end having genuine compassion for this guy. To go deep into something like that, there's got to be something so broken on the inside, and if we could learn to identify the broken rather than the fruits of that brokenness and how it offends us, oh, the people we could love, oh, the people who will come to know a Jesus who said, I don't need you to do anything. I'm going to go on this cross for you, and I'm going to make a way where there is no way through the veil of the temple to the Holy of Holies, so you could be restored to my presence. I'm going to make a way back into the Garden of Eden, and you don't have to have a sword fight with a cherub to get in there. I'm going to do that all for you, regardless of whether you ever walk in that door or not. How many of you know when we minister the love of God, under the condition, and again, this is whether we acknowledge it's a condition or not, under the condition that you do something in response to me or else I'm cutting you off, you're a lost cause, I'm moving on to somebody else. What about the tireless love that Jesus exercised when he pursued you and me? What about that, that tireless desire to see prodigals come home, to see people once again enjoy the father's house instead of being afraid of it because there's an older brother standing at the gates like this. Instead of the voice being, I know what you did and you're going to have to show me some fruits of repentance. How about instead, like the father, the slightest turning of the gaze toward the father's house and we're bursting through the doors with a robe and a ring and shoes and an embrace. How about that? And for you, don't worry about the response. Whatever the response is going to be, they'll answer to God. For that, they'll have to say, yeah, Father, I was loved with a perfect love by somebody who I offended and tried to hurt so badly, but they responded in love to me. Now they're going to stand before God and say, yeah, those hypocrite kids of yours. I believe God can replay a tape. Here, there I am still saying tape. Replay the TikTok. (laughs) It's going to be longer than a TikTok. Let me replay for you. I believe the Father could say, should be able to say, of all the times my people loved you even though you were really mean-spirited and hurtful to them. Let me replay the tape of all the times that I expressed my love to you through so many different means and you were so offended you didn't even notice that all along I was sending my people to express my love to you without conditions. This is what we're called to. This is who we are, by the way. Don't take this as a rebuke. This is me calling out the best of what we have of Christ in us. This is who you are, saint of God. This is what we are born to do. Jesus was born to love and then to die, expressing his love in the greatest way it could be expressed. You and I were born again so that we could live a life of love and then when we rest, we rest in peace and our works follow after us of lives restored to the love of God because we were bold enough to tell the truth and we were loving enough to speak it in love. So by this, the love of God was manifested in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Begotten son as opposed to all of us who are sons and daughters by adoption, begotten simply means it came from the inside of God. 
God had a baby, and his name was Jesus. A baby is the substance of what's on the inside of a mother. Always a miraculous thing to me. And man, I would love to talk. I can't wait to talk to Mary one day. What was it like? I mean, I've been with a pregnant woman six times over. Same woman, six kids that we have together. What's it like to feel the incarnation of God, the fullness of the Godhead when he kicks, when he rolls over, when you're trying to sleep? What was that like? What was it like, Mary, to to carry knowing that I've got something on the inside who already is so much the son of God that John the Baptist in the womb of his mother knows I'm in the presence of God right now and starts kicking her all like crazy on the inside. What's that like? Begotten means whatever was on the inside of the father, let me show you what it looks like. And it's Jesus He who has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus said. So Jesus is what God looks like with skin on, and he lives that way. And now it's us. There is no greater purpose in life than to be part of the embodiment of God himself. Now, I don't know about you. I didn't understand all these things when I was born again. All I knew was that the Father was offering like an amnesty day. Like you don't have to pay your library fines. Anybody ever have their library card canceled for overdue library fee? I did, but I didn't know that, to be fair, I didn't know. I, f- I forgot. Those books had gotten lost in the, the, the thing that's the Blair House. There's so much stuff when you have six kids and they got lost. My library card was canceled. But I found out, didn't you love when there was Amnesty Day? Maybe some of you don't take books out of libraries. <laughs> If you take books out of libraries and you have ADD at the same time, you know what I'm talking about. Because you get the notice in the mail, like, I remember taking out that book. And there it is, like half read under the coffee table and it got buried under stuff like that. All I knew when I was born again was that God said, hey, you can come in if you want to. Just repent, turn around, come on in. That's about all I understood at the time. The prodigal son, you can come home now. And then I found out all these other things that life was about to take a turn for exciting and unpredictable, more so than I ever imagined. And I've got a pretty good imagination. And it's been a wild ride ever since. So we get to be the embodiment of that God, the one who was love incarnate. Embodying God means living a life of love. It's that simple. What is love? It means viewing our existence and purpose. There's so many ways to define love, but here's one I'll submit to you to add to your list of all the other great things about love. You know, I grew up very confused about love because I grew up in the 80s. What's love got to do with it? You know, I, 80s was a very confusing decade for music and if it was in your formative years. I'll submit this as a definition of love, what love looks like. It's not emotion, it's not a feeling, it's not something that you know you can um, pull up in yourself. It's a decision, it's a, a lifestyle. Love simply means viewing our existence and purpose as being for the benefit of others. How many of you know we're born totally self-centered? I, I would even suggest every baby is the most selfish living thing on planet Earth. If you disagree with me, you obviously are not a parent (laughs) yet. I don't wish it upon you, but it's coming. 
Every baby believes I am the center of attention. All I got to do is scream, which is the only word babies know. And I get all of my needs met. And so the fun process of training and raising up kids is to help convince them, no, you don't, you're not the center of my world. You're a very important part of it and I love you. But you can't always be, I'm not always at your beck and call and all you got to do is, ah! And you're going to get fed and your diaper changed and walked around. Man, kids are such tyrants. You know, you carry them and you try to lay them down after they fall asleep. How many of you have babies that if you lay them down, they wake back up again? And then you call them to comfort them and, oh, you can't sit and comfort them. No, you got to stand and comfort them and walk around. Why you anybody else? Not all of my kids are like that, but the ones that are. I mean, you wonder why parents look so exhausted. That's why. <laughs> they're tyrants, babe. They're tyrants, but we accept it because they're babies, they're toddlers, they're two-year-olds. But how many of you know? By the time you get to be a little older, we're expecting that your life becomes not just a one-way street of the world exists to meet my needs. But we're expecting now, little by little, as you mature, you're going to begin to consider other people and what you do. And even consider sometimes deferring your own needs for the needs of others. That's love. If I would suggest one goal of the process of maturing in Christ, it's to go from being self-centered to being other-centered. How do you know somebody is maturing in Christ? They're always thinking about the other. They're always thinking about how can I be a net benefit in every situation I'm in? How can I give more than I take? That's the question that a mature adult asks. And we're all in process. All of us, I don't care how long you've been in Christ and how old you are, we all have moments where it's all about me right now. I want my needs met. Some of you doubt. Ask your spouse. Look, we do. We, we all, get real, we all have moments like that. That's why I would su- submit to you that becoming perfectly Christ-like means I never demand that somebody else meets my needs. I am always looking for how I can be a blessing. And when we get to 100% on that scale, congratulations, you become just like Jesus. And next week you preach. So I'm gonna just leave you with this closing exhortation that we, we would be the embodiment of Christ. And this Christ mass would become that our life shouts, Merry Christ mass, before we even need to say the words because you just encountered a carrier and an embodiment of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the beginning of that passage in Philippians that I read sums it all up. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. What's that purpose? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. 
This is when, when I get into discussions with you know, my atheist friends or pagans or whoever, I'll always ask this one question. Can you just, I understand that you've been offended by Christians and there've been some things, but can you tell me the, you know, all of the doctrine, what it means to live life the way Jesus taught us to live life, not the way that this has been twisted and misused over the years in ways that are pretty obvious. Like when you're discussing with somebody, yeah, what about the Crusades? What about the, the, uh, the uh, um, what do you call them? The Inquisitions. What about all that? I said, you really mean to tell me that a simple reading of the Sermon on the Mount would lead you to conclude that to get somebody to come to receive Jesus as their Savior, you should put them on a rack and tear their bones apart? Get re- I mean, for real. There's no part of what's taught in the Scriptures about how to live life that isn't the way the whole world ought to live whether you believe in Christ or not. Live a life of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Bless those who persecute you. Tell me what nation on earth wouldn't be immediately and immeasurably improved by living that way. (laughs) There is none. The problem is that we don't live it out that way. The problem is that when the world looks, they don't see that embodied. So let's commit ourselves this Christmas to saying Christ in me is gonna be a Christ mass, a Christ revealed by the way I live my life. Do nothing from selfishness. Where was I? Or vain or empty conceit but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Can we stand to our feet? And all of what I just shared is not for you to put in a basket that leads to religious striving. Do not allow the enemy to take the words that you heard today and twist them into shame on you for the times you fell short in that. All I could say is that if you've ever fallen short in love, welcome to the family. All of us have fallen short, even with Christ in us, even with the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, first of all. We all fall short in that. So I'm gonna pray for us right now, not that we'll do better, This is not New Year's resolution time. I don't know about you, I long since stopped with the New Year's resolutions. Just one more thing for me to fail at and then beat up myself about. (laughs) I'm gonna highly resolve to stay in Christ and patiently wait for the fruits of that relationship to become increased and multiply. And I'll become more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, self-controlled, and gentle. It's just a matter of time and staying in Christ. So this Christmas, can you just uh, pray for your own heart as I bless you? This Christmas, I speak to you in Jesus' name. Merry Christmas. May the embodiment of Jesus come so naturally to you. May the embodiment of love come so naturally to you that you find without striving, you're able to love your enemies You're able to love those who are assailing you. You're able to love those that you're afraid of, whose lifestyle may repulse you. May you find it easy, as Jesus did, to become known as a, uh, as he was falsely called, a drunkard 
and a glutton and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I pray that you will wear as a badge of honor that the Lord, that, that the Lord loved you and trusted you enough to send you to the ones that are some, some are difficult to love and some of them have been so rejected that they reject you before you get a chance to reject them first. May you find that love easy to flow out of you as Christ pours himself afresh into you this Christmas. And I say to you, Merry Christmas in Jesus' name. Amen.